Um, let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your watching over us this past week and keeping us and taking care of us, Lord. We thank you for um, hearing us as we've prayed for others. Um, thank you for Max and Kristen and the new baby and pray for them to, for mama to recover and baby to recover. It's traumatic for both of them in many ways. And so we pray for that. We, um, we pray, Lord, for John Harris as he comes to surgery soon. We, we would pray for um, an early appointment for his surgery on Tuesday. Lord, bless us in this class as we get into this, this subject, and we pray that you would help us, you would help us to be gracious, you'd help us to, to grow and to learn, and that we would be, uh, all would be benefited deeply by it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, I'll mention them in a minute, but the books are back in the back right there, and there's a basket there. Uh, we got the books half price, so they usually sell 15, we got them for 7 and so, um, so we're, if you want to throw 10 in there, that covers postage and handling for the books themselves. So there's a basket there. If you can't afford it, that's okay. Just grab a book. If you'll read it, that's the criteria. You've got to read the book, okay? Uh, and I'll talk more about it in just a minute. There's also copies of the white paper from um, PCA, uh, our PCA position paper. This has just got a whole bunch of them in there. But uh, that white paper is right back there as well. That's free. Take all of those you want. Okay, and then for the few of you who just love slides and like handouts, there are about eight copies of the slides we're going to do today back there in black and white. So, so there's lots of little resources, and there'll be more coming as we go along. And one last thing, John Brown, those of you who may remember John Brown, was in town. I don't know if he's still in town, but he was in town this week, and he came by, and he dropped off a whole bunch, well, not a whole bunch, but about 20 um, of um, the little memorial cards for Teen Hurst. I guess he had picked them up down there from, from her funeral. So there's copies back there if you want it. The best you've got to have is Teen Hurst holding the AR-15. I told the elders this morning, I said, when she said, get off my lawn, she's had something to back it up, you know. So, anyway. All right, so we're, this is a, just a short break out of the Psalms for a few weeks. I didn't do it. Oh. Podium. It's uh, uh, called Before It's Time Considerations as the End Gets Near. Um, over the last few years, I've done funerals, done several funerals. I've had conversations with those who are thinking about the end. I've interacted with loved ones and friends who want to avoid those discussions about the end. Uh, I've continued to be reminded of, even of my own mortality, having chronic health issues and you know things like that, and just falling off of things. Uh, just all those things. Just being reminded of my own mortality, and recognizing that some of us will be facing uh, the end with our loved ones in the years ahead. Some will face this with their loved ones sooner rather than later. Either they see it coming, or it's going to be a surprise. Some will face this for themselves in the nearer future. I mean, we are all getting older. And then this is an important topic for all of us. So uh, I feel like it's really valuable. It doesn't matter if you're 20 or 40 or 70. This is a topic all we need, we need to cover for our own sakes if, uh, and, and even our families we help administer to them. Uh, in this short class, we'll be answering several questions before, uh, uh, before it's time, some of the examples, these are the questions we're really going to be focusing on. 
Are we to do everything it takes or costs to live as long as possible? Is there a time to refuse life-sustaining treatment? Are advanced directives do not resuscitate, do not intubate orders, are they valuable and biblical? What might a biblically informed advanced directive look like? What is the role of hospice? Does it mean we're giving up? Why is getting our house in order from 2 Kings 20 verse 1? I'll talk more about that when we get there. Why is getting our house in order an important action before we're gone? Is cremation right or is it sinful? Should Christians do a church funeral or a funeral home memorial service? And what does a Christian funeral and burial mean? Some of these will go pretty quick. Uh, probably one class for the last few questions. But we'll, those are the questions I plan for us. Now I want you to recognize that we need to be very, very sensitive. Some of you have already walked through this with your loved ones, and um, I, I have found over the years, both as a hospice chaplain and as a minister, that after a loved one dies, usually the la- those who remain carry a lot of guilt. And I'm going to say it again. After the loved one dies, usually those who are still alive carry a ton of guilt. They carry guilt from from regrets from years past, but they also carry a lot of guilt guilt specifically because the question that they often ask in their head is, did I do enough? I've actually heard that from several people's mouths, okay? And so I want us to be very, very sensitive. I know you're probably thinking, well, that goes without saying. No, it doesn't go without saying. Because sometimes we get so caught up on the issue, we forget the human side of it that's in our presence right here in this class. Does that make sense? So I want us to be very sensitive to that. Okay. Um, are there any other questions that we might need to cover? Can you think of any other questions that maybe we need to cover? Right now the class is planned to be about four or five weeks long, but if we need to cover some other areas that I'm, I missed, let me know. Okay? So f- feel free to tell me if you don't want to do it now. Yep. Yep. All right, so my two main sources besides the Bible. The Bible is the source, but the two sources underneath that, if you will, are uh, this book, Departing in Peace, Biblical Decision-Making at the End of Life. Bill Davis is a ruling elder in the PCA. He's also a teacher, of, uh, professor of ethics at Covenant College, okay? And so he actually teaches this class, or a class like this, uh, as part of his curriculum, Okay. Um, this is a great book. One of you gave this to me about two years ago, and I appreciate you giving me the copy. Um, I just found it really invaluable. I mean, I understood all of it ahead of time, but it was just, that's nice. This is all in one place, and so that's why I made copies available back there. Like I said, it's a $10 donation if you can afford it. If you can't, just grab the book. Just, but do read the book, okay? It'll be worth your time to read. The other is from our position papers, uh, a white paper, on, um, that was done in 1988. We did a study in 1988. It's called Report of the Heroic Measures. Heroic measures are usually... Um, um, I'm not going to do um, the experimental treatments because it's not... It, it, there's just too much to that. Okay? I mean, that kind of thing. Um, and so it's, a, it's, a, it's about eight pages long. It's this short, I mean, this small a print with that much space, okay? But, but it doesn't take very long to read it. It's actually a, a really helpful. It's written in 88. There's been a lot of changes since then. And when you read Bill Davis, who wrote this just a few years ago, 
he'll point that out that there have been there have been medical changes such that um, uh, trying to update the thinking not not the thinking to update the applications of the biblical thoughts to the present okay I mean think about where we're at right now um, hundred years ago if Aaron had a car uh, he wouldn't have had a car accident if he had a horse accident and bonked his head it had been over right I mean brain damage he'd have been gone but we can now artificially keep him alive his body alive for a long long time okay so that's what I mean like the advancements and so then you start having questions once you have those kind of changes you start having questions well what's right what's wrong in this situation okay and I'm hoping that as we go through, and I think you'll pick it up from the white paper and also from this book, there are principles that will guide, that can guide us, biblical principles that can guide us no matter what the medical changes are, no matter what the advancements are. Okay? Does that make sense? Another thing, just keep in mind, please do not listen to this class through the lens of, a, of the old culture wars from the 1980s. Alright? We had, I mean, I am pro-life to the gills went out in front of the abortion clinic for 10 years every week in Midland, Texas. I, under, I know the culture war language, but you cannot listen to this class through that, okay? Because then you will make unguarded statements that are uncharitable and unbiblical, okay? So we have to be very, very careful. So we listen. We want to listen. What does Scripture say? What is a biblical principle? And then how does that apply? Okay, does that make sense? Hopefully that will come out and you'll understand better as we get along. So as I said, there are copies of this that are available. There's also copies of these. Uh, the handouts are back there on the table. Please get those. So let's do some Bible. Seems like it's a Bible class, okay? Uh, and we won't go to all these passages because you know the stories. Uh, but without a doubt, I want to say God is pro-life and wants us to be pro-life. You go to Genesis chapter 4, which is the story about what? Cain and Abel, okay? And what does God feel about somebody who takes the life of someone else? Genesis 4. He's against it, okay? In fact, when you get to Genesis 9, after the flood, after God's judgment and bringing the flood, when He sets up Noah, when Noah comes out of the ark, what does He say in Genesis 9, round verses 1-7, through 7, that tell you and remind you again that God is pro-life? What does He say? He does say, be fruitful and multiply. Yes, whoever sheds innocent blood, he will, he will end up forfeiting his life, right? God is pro-life. I think we need to know that and say that very clearly. And even in Exodus 20 and verse 13, which is one of the Ten Commandments, which commandment would that be? Yeah, you will not kill, you will not murder, okay? All right, so... We have to say right up front, God is pro-life. And so God wants us to protect life, which includes the life of the weak and the defenseless. So let's go to a couple of passages here. So let's go to Matthew 15. Matthew 15, 1-9. So this is a conflict with the Pharisees. Um, and the scribes and how they've perverted the law by their, in the way they apply it. But I want you to notice how Jesus understood, and Jesus is the one who gave the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, and how he understood the fifth commandment was supposed to be applied. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their 
hands when they eat, he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. And he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their lives, their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching us the doctrines, the commandments of men. So as Jesus is applying the fifth commandment, how does he actually tell us the fifth commandment should be applied? That wasn't being done. It was actually being negated by the religious elites at the time. But what does that mean? How does he apply that? Huh? Yeah, taking care of them even when they come into that older age, right? Well, what do you expect from me when you become older and are unable to care for yourself? Well, I've already given that to God. Praise Jesus or praise the Lord or whatever, right? And so he says, that's not right. You're breaking the, tenth com- the, the fifth commandment. So the idea is we're actually protecting life. Because think about in a day when there's no social security system, no welfare system, um, no retirement homes, no nursing care facilities, um, and all, you just go down the list. When the day when that is not the case, when there's none of those things, what would an older person need to do who's becoming incapacitated? What would he need or she need? Do what? Yeah, family. Kids to care for him, help, right? That's the idea of he wants us to protect life and preserve, okay, in those ways. And so then, uh, especially, uh, and even the weak and the defenseless. And so then Matthew 18, 1 through 14. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. And that's pretty phenomenal because this was an age and a day when children were expendable. You had five or six of them because you needed to help, they needed to help you on the farm. And they're kind of expendable. In fact, they were treated in an expendable way because infant mortality was high, all that stuff. Um, and the fact that Jesus would bring a child in is pretty phenomenal. And just notice where he goes with this. Verse 3, he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, and that Greek word is scandalos, or scandalon. Whoever scandalizes, whoever... So this is going to include a lot of things. Whoever makes a child, whoever offends a child, makes them sin, puts them in a scandalous situation. This covers sex trafficking, child enslavement, exploitation, even abortion, okay? And so he goes on, whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, um, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations, for the, for temptations to sin, to scandal on. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, or this context, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, he's talking about how you treat those kids. Think about the context. How you treat those kids. If your hands 
or your foot, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame with two hands or two feet to be thrown into than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into, into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. You may be saying, well, how do you know that the context is children? Well, because it is already said there in the first six verses, but then he picks it back up again and makes it very clear starting in verse 10. See that no one despises one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angel, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search in search of the one that went astray. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Okay? It's a very strong statement. I have used it in preaching um, outside of an abortion clinic on Good Friday. We had good, I was the president of the Ministerial Alliance. I set up a Good Friday service right outside the abortion clinic that was one of the sermons that I preached. That is scandalous what was going on across the street. Does that make sense? And so, but then this, the application just goes on. It's bigger than just that one incident. But you can see that. So the idea is that God wants us to protect life, which includes the weak or defenseless. And these children were weak and defenseless. Yes, sir. Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Very good. Any questions up to this point? Am I moving too fast? All right, so life, therefore, is God's gift and has a purpose. And I think we need to remember, we need to be saying that to each other and we need to say it to ourselves we need to say it to others around us. Life is a gift of God and therefore it has a purpose. So if you... Look at James 4. I want you to notice he's talking to Christian businessmen in James 4 who had a certain attitude. Starting in verse 13. So James 4, starting in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say. So these Christian businessmen thought they had control of the outcomes, control of their future, control of everything they could do, that life was in their control. And notice that James tells them, here's what your attitude should be. Here's what you should be saying. If the Lord wills, comma, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, I'll be alive tomorrow. It's God's gift. If I wake up today, I woke up this morning. Who gave me that this morning? God did. Right? And then he just goes on from there. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Now, there's more we could talk about here. There is purpose uh, that goes with it. But life is a gift, and therefore, if it's a gift of God, it has a purpose. Now, you know part of the purpose, because you are all great Westminster Shorter Catechism reviewers, and you know, what's the chief end? What's the main purpose? 
of human life. What's the chief in a man? Very good. So you already know there's that purpose. And then if you were here um, a few Sunday nights ago when I was preaching on Philippians chapter 1, and I got down to verse 25 and 26 when Paul was talking about his own life and death, he tells us a second part of the purpose. But I know I'll continue, he says, for your progress and joy in the faith that, you, that because of me, you will be able to glory in Christ Jesus, right? So there's a second aspect of our purpose. We are for the progress and joy in the faith of our brothers and sisters, our wives, our husbands, our kids, our grandparents. We're for their progress and joy in the faith so that in us, on our account, they may glory in Christ. So there's, in other words, we have purpose. Even if you feel like you have no purpose, you have purpose, okay? And how do I know? Because God gave you today. He gave you life. Life is a gift. Okay? There you go. So there's kind of our biblical grounding. There's far more we could say, but there's our biblical grounding. Any questions or thoughts or clarifications? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, it's the translators that actually put those artificial breaks, yes. Anybody else? Okay. Well, let's move on then. So this is from then the larger, Westminster Larger Catechism 135, as it's talking about the sixth commandment, you will not kill, you'll not murder. The duties require, so remember that God is pro-life, He wants us to be that way as well, and also to preserve and protect the life of the weak and, and uh, the defenseless and uh, recognize that life is a gift and life uh, that with that life that God has given us there's purpose so now they're they're unpacking the sixth commandment so the duties required in the sixth commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors I appreciate the lawful endeavors right there the lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes subduing all passions, and avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices which tend to the unjust taking away of the life of any. Now that's a very important word right there. The unjust taking, okay? Um, by just defense thereof against violence, patient bearing of the hand of God, quietness of mind, cheerfulness of spirit, a sober use, I love the fact they use the word sober. Yes. A sober use of meat, drink, physic, that's medicine, sleep, labor, and recreations. By charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, peaceable, mild, and courteous speeches and behavior. Probably need to put that on everybody's news feeds. Peaceable, mild, and courteous speeches and behavior. Forbearance. Readiness to be reconciled. Patient bearing and forgiving of injuries and, requi or, and requiting, or requiting good for evil. So not, um, not paying back uh, or giving out good in place of evil. That's um, Romans chapter 12. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay? Comforting and succoring or aiding or helping the distressed and protecting and defending the innocent. 
And so then the sixth commandment forbids um, all taking away the life of ourselves or of others except in the case of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense. The neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of the preservation of life sinful anger, hatred, envy, desire of revenge, all excessive passions, distracting cares, immoderate use of meat, drink, labor, and recreations, provoking words, oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding, and whatsoever else tends to the destruction of the life of any. That's the Westminster Larger Catechism. Now, every time I, you read the Westminster Larger Catechism as it, as it unpacks the Ten Commandments, you should feel shamefully guilty. Why are they talking about me? Right? It's, I just feel like that. Every time I read it, I just go, what? How did they even know I was going to live? You know. And so, so, any questions before we move on? Any questions from the catechism, the larger catechism? Uh, depends on the motive, probably. Yeah, some of those, are, there's a hard issue. So the hunger strike could be, I was thinking about this the other day, could be legitimate if you are in a situation where there's no justice and this is the only way to get the attention of whoever, and if you die, you know, but you're not trying to kill yourself. You're simply getting their attention versus someone who intentionally refuses to eat so they can die faster. I mean, but that's a, an intentional aspect. Does that make sense? When they would be okay if they went ahead and ate. Somebody else? Yes, Fred. Yeah, and again, go back to Romans 12, it's exactly what it says, right? So that's why we can, therefore, not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay. Anybody else? Okay, so I do think that we've got, kind of got our biblical feet under us, so now we're going to start answering our questions. We're only going to have time to answer one, because what I'd like to do is do a case study. Caitlin's going to help me do a case study, and I think that this will be helpful as we start kind of working through how we apply those things, okay? So the first question, it was a, one of the that first of the, all the list of questions I had is, are we to do everything it takes or costs to live as long as possible, okay? Now a knee-jerk reaction, especially if you're, if you're listening to this through the, the, the filter of the old culture wars, is to automatically say, yes, and that settles it, right? And then there's all kinds of questions because there's so much going on in our medical advancements that what do we mean? What did we mean in 1980 and what do we mean now by that, okay? And so to help us with the question, let me ask, um, let me ask it using, this is the PCA report on the heroic measures. That's that white paper. Oh, here it is. That's that white paper that's back there, which I highly recommend that you get. I appreciate the fact they spent a lot of time carefully working through this. Quote, does morality demand 
in every case that every medical option available to be employed be employed to extend the life of a critically ill or dying person. Now notice the language. Language is important. The critically ill or dying person. Or is it sometimes morally correct to refuse so-called heroic measures to prolong life and allow such a person to die? Then it goes on. Is the Christian morally obligated to insist that the full extent of medical technology be employed in every case to postpone this time of death as long as possible? Is there no distinction to be made between prolonging life and postponing the dying process? And I think that helps us then to define what we're asking in this question here. Okay? Anybody, any, any questions or any reflections on that? Yes, Alan. Right. Yeah, actually, the medical community may actually be asking the question differently than we're hearing it. They may be saying, what's the likelihood they'll recover? Because I'll tell you, as I get older, the likelihood I will recover some things that I could recover from at 20 are slimmer, right? And so they may actually be looking at that, okay? I have an aunt who I've talked about before who's a gambling addict who has destroyed her life. She does not take care of herself. She's got chronic health issues. She's probably dying. She's mad that they won't try to save her life, but then she does nothing that they want her to do. So after a while, it's like, well, what's the judgment call here? It's a moral judgment almost, right? Yes, Moose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. And I think that that, that question you ask, will this extend her life or extend her dying, is where we're at here. Right? That's the question. That's part of the question to ask. And I, I think that Caitlin... So first of all, you, when you deal with medical people, they're human. So they, they're just, they have just as poor bedside manners as some of you do. Right? Yeah, yeah, and they just, I mean, so they're just as, they have, they're human. And it's awkward to them. They don't want to talk about death because they got in the profession to preserve life, make it better, right? And so to see that means, oh, they feel uncomfortable. I mean, I've dealt with several of them, and they're just uncomfortable. Preacher, can you go tell them that she's going to die? Oh, thanks, right? I'm sure Caitlin probably feels the same way. She probably has the same situation. I saw a hand, yes. Oh, sure, yeah. Right. Right. For the, yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's, and yeah, makes good sense. And that's where you, you have that, you have the right to actually say no. Right? And so I'm not going to mention names, but there was someone who, from our church who, was dying. Um, they said, hey, we've got this experimental treatment. So he's talking to me. He says, we've got this experimental treatment. It might actually help. It might even work somewhat. They can't maybe put the cancer remission, which was would have been unusual if it did. And so he asked me, he says, should I take it? I said, that's your call. If you don't take it, that's fine. That's legit because you're not killing yourself. You're just saying, I don't want to be a guinea pig, and then and who knows the consequences. He says, so finally, after about a couple days, he came back and says, I'm going to go ahead and try it. So he tried the first treatment, and he was worse off after the first treatment than he had been. And he, t- he said to me, is it okay, Pastor? I'm not going to take any more treatments. I want to finish out my days at least able to be cogent and talk to my wife and, and do those things. He says, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, yeah. So yeah, so those are those are the kinds of questions that we're we're dealing with, and I think that what Moose was pointing out, well, that's the that's where you that's where you're coming down at the end. Is this prolonging life? Is this person going to be restored? Is this help going to restore them, or is it just prolonging the death? Okay, and I think that's to put it gra- uh, cra- I guess kind of crassly. That's really where some of that goes, and so I, I appreciate that's what the the position paper is actually addressing is in that regard. Anybody else before we move on? Yeah, I, yeah, I mean that's that's 
to, to use the quality of life language has a lot of baggage with it from the from the culture wars, right? And so, uh, and that's the the logic used often in the assist, physician-assisted suicide and in other states, right? So, but I, I get what you're saying, that there is a sense in which is, and that's where I'm going back to Moose's question he asked his doctor. I think that's the way you ask, part of the way you ask the question, is this going to prolong my life? Or is this going to just prolong the dying? Right, right. I knew what you were saying, but I'm just saying that that language becomes problematic. Right. 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 Yeah. But I think it's a good rule of thumb. I think that's part of where you're dealing with, okay? All right, so you ready to move on? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 It is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. That's good. So, by the way, on the back of the white, the white paper, what I added was just the list of biblical principles that are actually in the back of this book. So that you can, if you don't want to, if you don't want to, if you're not going to be able to read the book or whatever, there's a whole list of those that we'll be dealing with some of those, but there's a whole list of those back there that you could, excuse me, you can look at at a glance. And so, good. All right, so uh, clearly from scriptures, we were looking um, from scripture and also the good and necessary consequence from scripture were to use lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others to include. For example, a sober use of meat, drink, physic. I love that word, physic. Doc, I need some new physic. Oh, I love it. Anyway, medicine, sleep, labor, and recreations. But also our Lord Jesus, for example, did not do everything that was necessary to extend his own life. He gave himself on our behalf for the purpose of great love and our greater good. As he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then he goes on to say, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Okay? So our Lord's actions then push back against the do everything it takes or costs thinking. But it shows us that there are limits to how far we are obligated to go. We are obligated. There are things we do, okay, and we want to do. Um, but it, it begins to it put some limits on there for us that are healthy limits. Okay, because you have to understand at the end of the day, all of your doctor's medical treatment will fail. I don't know if you know that. Sorry, Scott. But at the end of the day, it's going to fail. And so keeping that in mind, then you don't look at the, the doctor. And that's sometimes part of the problem is that we often will look at the medical community as mess messiahs meant to save us. And they're very limited. 
I mean, they're advancing. We're a, I'm glad to live in the 21st century, I'll have you know. I'm glad for antibiotics, for example. There's people surviving now that wouldn't have survived. Your grandparents or great-grandparents wouldn't have survived some of these ailments, right? So I'm delighted to be here, but I recognize, and sometimes we say it scoffingly, but it's, there's a, there's a, hopefully it can help us. Yes, it is, a, it is a practice, medical practice. It is medical art. I mean, they're learning, even the doctors are learning because your body, Alan's body receives medicine sometimes and, or responds and doesn't respond to certain medicines that mine will. Right, so he's got to learn or she's got to learn about me. So there's a lot of practice and art in there. So if you expect perfection, I'm telling you now, forget it. It's done, right? Yes, Mike. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. So Bill Davis says in the book, he says, we are not to hasten our own death. That's important to remember or the death of others apart from just war or capital punishment. But avoiding death should not be our primary goal. This is kind of what uh, Caitlin was uh, referring back to as he talks about what's the purpose of our life? What do we do? And that's kind of a gauge. We are made to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, and the end of physical life will be only one moment in the greater objective. I had a ruling elder in another church, my first church, who was so terrified of death, he would not go to anyone's funeral in our church or in his family. He was 70-something years old. He just refused to go to funerals. He was so scared of death. Sometimes I wonder if we don't imbibe too much uh, the culture around us, accidentally even. And I think that's what he was doing in his day. But, But if we have this, then, oh, this is just one part of the longer, the longer picture, the bigger picture. Because if we really believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that we go, if we, for us to live as Christ, to die as gain, and He's coming back again, oh, this is just one more moment in this forever life. And I don't know about you, but that's really helpful to remember. Okay? And so that brings the PCA study paper to lay out some principles of application uh, number five and six. I don't know, Caitlin. We're going to get to the to the um, case study. Okay. Today we will next week. I may make you the very first person. So in the position paper itself, that white paper, uh, number five. On one side of the problem are measures that are necessary means of preservation of life. They're quoting from the larger catechism. First, food, air, and water by natural routes, that is, without technical assistance, may not be denied by a patient or anyone caring for him. It's a broad general statement. So we, we just talked about hunger strikes. There, you know, sometimes there are, there's that one-off, right? But the general principle right here. Second, medical treatment that is clearly efficacious, is effective to heal or to restore may not be refused either. Number six, on the other side, treatments that are ineffective, minimally effective, or have frequent and serious side effects are not obligatory. Many diagnostic, medical, and surgical procedures in these situations have these characteristics. Doing everything possible is usually, doing everything possible is usually inappropriate. Specific effective measures should be chosen with clear-cut goals from the patient's condition. Okay, 
I appreciate this right here. It's not obligatory. It doesn't mean you can't do it. You have to actually weigh out, okay? Do I have the, do I have the money for it? Or am I going to impoverish my family for the next generation? Am I willing to take whatever the consequences are? Because there are liable to be some side effects. Do I want to be, it's possible I'll be miserable. Doc, will I be miserable? Doc, will I be unconscious for four more months? Right? You have to ask those questions. But sometimes there's reasons that are not obligatory reasons, but there are good reasons that you may say, yes, let's do that. Because I want to see if I can help future cancer patients with this treatment. And if this treatment works for me, or if it shows where the faults are, I'm willing to take that bullet. Okay, right? So there are sometimes there are reasons, but it's not obligatory. Does that make sense? Yeah, right. Mm hmm Yes. Yeah. And that's the thing, that's part of the consideration. How will this impact my family? Right, that, you need to ask that question because you're there for their progress and joy and the faith that because of you, they make glory to Christ. That's part of that where you have to figure that out. And so that's where making the decision without your family is not necessarily a good thing to do. Now we're gonna get into DNRs and, and advanced directives and all that stuff and we're gonna talk about that for when, if you're not conscious and you leave it for your family to make those decisions. Okay, we'll talk about that in the future, in the near future. So that deals with some of the stuff that uh, Moose was just bringing up. But, um, but yes, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, depending on what they were saying, but I assume, I'm just assuming they were Christians. Yeah, they were, yeah. Right, right. And so when we get into hospice, we'll talk a little bit about hospice in, uh, later on, where, um, and I'll explain why, but this is the natural routes without the technical assistance um, for food, air, water. Your body shuts down as you're, I'm sorry. As you start dying, your body begins to start shutting down, right? If I force you to take food, there's a point where your body is no longer processing food and it makes you miserable and it can actually maybe speed up the process, right? So there's a place where, you know, you, you say, I'm, you know, I'm just not hungry anymore. That's, the, that's kind of the key, right? Is the person says, um, I'm hungry. Well, okay, great. I'm thirsty, great. But when they come, but usually when they're at that, in the dying process, when they get, if they're cognizant, when they get there, they'll tell you, I, I'm just not hungry. And it's not, they're not trying to commit suicide. Going back to heart issues. 
They're not trying to commit suicide. They're, their body is just not hungry because they're not processing the food. Does that, does that make sense? I mean, I'm jumping a bunch of stuff in here very quickly. but So that's a, that's a great question, and we'll actually talk about DNRs and do not intubate and things like that a little bit more further as we get down the road. Um, but there you go. Yes. Anybody have any other questions on this right here? On either one of these? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is without the, by natural routes, without the technical assistance, and yet you also, uh, so yes. So there are times when uh, it has to be artificial, okay? But there are other aspects to that as well that let you know that this is going to be efficacious, right? There are some who uh, you force feed them and they're, uh, Bill would tell you, they're brain dead. I mean, there's not a electrical current shock or anything coming from their brains. There's no, nothing other than the artificial. And then you start force feeding them. Now you're going, you're probably going beyond what's necessary. Does that make sense? Okay. And so that's why they put it this way. But yeah, when you get into that, that this is the other part of the principle, the efficacious part. Okay. Yes, Alan. Yeah, 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 yeah. So even when I was a hospice chaplain, we had several that had uh, had feeding tubes and stuff because they were they were in the process, but they were early on. And so the hospice the hospices don't normally because they're they're actually there's a Christian foundation underneath hospice. It was actually begun by Christians, so there's actually a, a heavy Christian over hangover in hospices. Okay, and some of them are very adamantly Christian. So they're not trying to speed up anybody's death. And so early in the process, I saw some people who were not able any longer because of throat cancer or whatever, they were not able to ingest any longer, so they did the tubes because that's what they wanted because they were still fine. Okay, at that point, the time came later. This is where it gets difficult. The time comes later when they're no longer responsive and they're not. Well, now you don't know because now you don't have them awake. They're not conscious. Now you don't, you know, that's where the advanced directives and stuff you can help out. Anybody else? Caitlin, do you want to add anything to that? No? That's fine. That's okay. I don't mean to put you on the spot. Yes? Yes. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Very good. And that's and I'm glad you brought it up that way. Yes. Steve. Yes. Yeah. And they're not afraid to talk to you about it. Yeah. Yeah, right. Very good. Anybody else? I really appreciate you all being in the class. I'm very delighted you're here. We'll pick up from here next week. Again, as I said at the beginning of the class, um, Bill Davis is a ruling elder in the PCA. 
He teaches ethics at Covenant College, and he put together this book where I'm just asking if you can afford it, a $10 donation for the book. We were able to get it for half price, $7, in the cover shipping and handling. If you can't afford it, just grab the book. If you'll read it, grab the book. That's my criteria for you, sorry. If you'll read it, grab the book, okay? But for free, there's the PCA white paper from the 1988 called Report of the Rogue Measures Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America. It's back there, it's for free. I would, and it's got in the back, it's got the biblical principles that Davis lays out in here. It's got a whole list of those in the back. So I put those together so you'd have some free resources. And I would encourage you to grab those and read those. I think, brothers, sisters, I think this will help. I think the class already just listening to you is gonna help tremendously. Okay, as you yourself, today it's coming. I hate to tell you that. None of us are getting out of here alive. It's coming, but then we're going to walk our parents. My mom is 82. My mother-in-law is 84. We're going to walk our parents through that pretty soon, right? Having some of these in place and being willing to talk about them and work this out biblically will help tremendously so that when they're gone, it will help with the temptations to feel guilty. I don't think I did enough. If you did what you were supposed to, you did all you needed to do. Right? And I think that you'll be encouraged. And I hope you're encouraged even today. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord God in heaven, for blessing us with life. Every day is a gift from you. And you gave us purpose to glorify you and enjoy you, but also to be for, the, for each other's progress and joy in the faith that that because of us, they will be able to glory in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the fact you give us life and you give us purpose. Help us as we consider and ponder these thoughts, as we work our way through these things biblically. Um, we ask you, Lord, that, um, that you would, it would help us. We really would walk out um, hugely helped for the future. And uh, Lord, we pray even now as we get ready to go into the assembly, we know that we are coming to worship the Lord of life. We're coming to worship the Lord of life that death has no say over you. And our confidence is in you. You will carry us through death, dying on into everlasting life forever and ever. And so prepare our hearts to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.